This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott dodged the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 108 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Hey, I hope you had a good weekend. We were talking about the weather in the previous um, episode that we just tried to record, which didn't work. <laughs> Imagine that technical difficulties on our podcast. That's, that's what we do. We are we are the technical difficulty people. We are. We're just, we're not with it, Joshua. And that's okay. We admit it. But I was saying it finally got cold down here in Nashville because to tell you the truth, it had been 70s for a couple weeks. I'm not that I'm complaining or anything, but I feel like it's starting to actually feel like the holidays. Yeah. We, I mean, we've had a little bit of weather here and, uh, you know, I think this weekend as I was leaving out, uh, headed towards Chicago, there was some weather. I can't remember because all the weekends run together, but I know. really only been a couple weekends with, um, you know, some winter weather. Uh, so we've been pretty fortunate around here. I mean, there were some some weekends where people were golfing in November um, out here in central Ohio, if that tells you anything about what was going on. So no complaints over this way. No, not at all. That's crazy. That's that's nice to be golfing in Ohio at this time of year. So we have a big weekend coming up. It is championship weekend for college football. This has been such a bizarre year. I can't say it enough, but it does look like Ohio State is is going to play now that they shifted things around in the Big Ten. So the Buckeyes will be taking on Northwestern. And before we talk about that matchup really quick, Joshua, I did want to just give my thoughts on this whole college football playoff situation, because if you've listened to any talk radio nationally, locally, Ohio State is kind of one of the main topics. Yes. And you either are on the side of, yeah, Ohio State deserves to get in. They're certainly one of the best four teams in the country. Or there's another side that is bringing up this, they haven't played enough games. Right. 
And I find myself just laughing at some of these people who are so diehard against the Buckeyes playing just because they didn't play enough games. Yeah. Look, would they want to play more games? Absolutely, Joshua. We've talked about this. It's only going to make them better playing more games. But any anybody and everybody who is in a situation right now can't really help it. Right. And so it's, I guess, like, it's been a disqualifier if you ask like Notre Dame people because they don't have a conference championship, but you know, that's, that's in the grand scheme of things, it's one game um, and join a damn conference. So there's that situation. I think it's a weird disqualifier this year, just because of how many uncertainties and unknowns there have been. Um, And even people like Dabo who have since changed their tone said when we got this thing started up that, you know, number of games shouldn't disqualify somebody from playing. And so we get into this conversation that we have every year, the four best versus the four most deserving teams, right? And so you can say that Ohio State is one of the four best teams. And I think that people who watch football would agree with that. Yeah. They would say even with some of the deficiencies that Ohio State has shown, they are one of the four best teams in the United States of America. When we talk about the four most deserving teams, you can't say that because they've only right. played five games and you, you, you know, like it, if you're a Florida person, you would say, well, they definitely don't deserve it. Like anything can happen in during the course of a season because they just lost to a terrible team. And that's 100% true. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, the, I guess the response to that is the best ones don't lose that kind of game. And you already lost one before then. So two should right. definitely be a disqualifier. We can go around and around on this. The fact of the matter is I think this year specifically, it would be weird to use, the number of games as a disqualifier. If you if you felt like there was something based off of what they had shown in the five games or the six games after they play this weekend, that would say they shouldn't be in it. That's one thing. But just to say, mm-hmm. well, you know, somebody else played twice as many games. Well, you know, pandemic football is bound to happen. And this is yeah. I mean, we're we're all we're going to see how everything plays out <clears throat> this weekend. But as of right now, I'm feeling pretty confident that Ohio State is going to be one of the four teams that's going to be in the college football playoff. Now the next two teams that are playing for the ACC championship, and this is clearly just for this year because Notre Dame joined the conference for this type of situation. So I'm just curious, Joshua, as to how this thing all plays out. Do you think both of these teams, regardless, are worthy of a spot? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, Notre yeah. Dame, if, if, if if Clemson loses again, I would say no, because then you would have had two cracks at a team that we know is one of the top teams in America and you couldn't beat them either one of the time. So you shouldn't have a third right. crack at right. trying to beat a top level team like you already had your shots. If Notre Dame loses, they should definitely still be in because, you know, and okay. and I'll, I'll say that with the caveat. That takes a lot for Joshua to say, by the way. I know. But if now the caveat, <laughs> because I brought up this scenario is if um is if Florida was still uh, one loss heading into the SEC right. championship and Florida would have beat Bama, then mm-hmm. my my conversation would have been if Notre Dame lost to Clemson, how bad did they lose when you're deciding over Notre Dame and Ohio State in that scenario, right? So it yeah. still stands to me that if Notre Dame gets blown out, then you don't put them in. But if it's if it's a close, very competitive game, then I think if Notre Dame loses, they should be in. If Clemson loses... Um, even if it's competitive, I, I think it would still be hard to keep them in there because that would be their second loss. But I don't like Florida anymore. I definitely nope. don't like Texas A&M. I don't like Iowa State at all with two losses. Yeah. 
So like, you know, where, where do you really go from there? Is it the scenario that we thought at the beginning of the year where our top teams really are Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and then the number four team is kind of somewhere floating way back behind because that's what we talked about coming in. But mm-hmm. should be interesting this weekend. The results will, you know, they'll obviously tell us a lot about the way the playoff shapes up, but I also think it tells us more about the landscape and how close the teams really are at the top. I feel like this would have been a good year to have an eight team playoff. Would you agree with just because it's so odd already might as well make it crazier and try it. Let me throw this out to you. I think 18 playoff is too many in any year. I don't think college football since the playoff has started has been competitive enough for eight teams um, except for one year where I thought that the eight team format actually would have been pretty competitive Mm -hmm. Um, because there were a bunch of, you know, every team, I think that year, I can't remember what year it was, had at least one loss except for maybe one team. And, you know, there were some really good two loss teams up in the in the top eight. I'm like, damn, that would be a lot of fun. This year, I don't think it would be so. I think you could you could talk me into six, and I think six okay. would be my tolerance okay. in any other year. I'm I'm for playoff expansion for sure. I just I don't know if eight's the number, but uh this would have been the year to try it out at least. If you wanted to try out eight or you, you know, even if you wanted to try out sixteen with the <laughs> amount of games that some of these teams have missed, you feel like that wouldn't have been necessarily a terrible idea. But yeah, I mean, since they're not trying it out, then you know, let's keep pushing. Well, speaking of a team that uh, isn't going to make the college football playoff, uh, everything that at least we know at this point is a team from the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 just pushed it way too late. Let's be honest. Yeah. This just just well, they weren't. Nobody they watches weren't their there. games either. That's no, the they issue. don't. And it's and it's it stinks for somebody who's a Pac-12 alum who yeah. who back when I was the Pac-10 when I was in school. There was some good football being played. I used and, to watch it. I, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you right now. I mean, I used to watch SC. We watched yeah. Washington. We watched UCLA yep. to a certain degree. We watched Cal when mm-hmm. they were kind of decent. We watched Stanford all the time. Oregon has always been a team Oregon, that we looked yeah. out for. Like, it it used to be interesting, but I I don't think they recruit well enough. They don't. Don't love the brand of football. And then the, the eyeballs is the big issue is nobody's watching them unless they can get like a Friday night slot or you, you catch them in the 430 window when things kind of simmer down between the big noon East Coast kickoff and the primetime spot, like you might catch one of those games. But outside of that, we ain't watching it. Well, here's the other thing, Joshua. I feel like these coaches who are in the Pac-12, they're just not doing enough. I mean, no. USC has has done an okay job for the few amount of games they've played. I don't think Clay Hilton's still the guy for the job. I think that um, Slovis has really helped them, and we knew that that was going to help them at the quarterback position. I mean, he's been spectacular, but but Hel- uh, Clay Helton isn't the, the head coach. I I think anybody's got to be stupid to think that he is um, in terms of turning this program around. And then you look at a guy like Kevin Sumlin. Who sure. went from Texas A and M, where sure. he had a decent amount of success, he wasn't yeah. overwhelming. Goes to Arizona, does absolutely nothing. In my opinion, embarrasses the program, Joshua. Yeah, I they agree. lost to ASU, their rival, which yeah. I have covered that rivalry. I was down in Tucson for two yeah. years. I covered them for two years. It's it, that rivalry is a big deal to them. I and watched that it was game. Embarrassing. That was miserable. I I watched the entirety of that football game and it was basically kickoff return touchdown and then they turn the ball over Arizona State gets it back and scores in one play 
So yeah. they basically had 14 plays off of or 14 points off of one play from scrimmage. Yeah. And like that was that was the game though. Like that wasn't an aberration, just something freaky that happened at the beginning of the game. No. That was the whole game. So I yeah. definitely agree with you, but to your point, he's not a bad head coach. Like he did terribly over there. Right. But I mean, you look at the way that he did at Texas A&M, he had 11 win season in there, you know, winning nine games, eight games and it's hard playing in the SEC. So you give him a little bit of a break there when he was sure. at Houston, did a great job. I know. He had a 10 win season there. He had a 12 win season in 2011 when he was at Houston. And then he goes to Dagon, Arizona and it's five wins, four wins, and then zero yeah. and five and get fired. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it, it just really does make you wonder because even Chip Kelly, when he had success at Oregon, it was really still when the PAC 12 was, I feel like a decent conference. It, it wasn't anywhere where it is right now. And then he left, went to the pros and then he came back to UCLA. He doesn't, he hasn't done squat there either. Right. So you really do start to wonder they have at some point have to make a big change. And when I say make a big change, that means from the top, yeah. getting rid of Larry Scott. I mean, we've said it time and time again, but yeah. until that happens, I just don't think things are going to get fixed. And then this is the other thing, Joshua. I think that this is just kind of a joke too. You know, Washington is not playing in the um, Big, yeah. 10, Big 12 championship. Did you see that? So they're just yeah. inserting Oregon. Like they're like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to end. It's just the whole it's thing was poorly situation. planned. I'll, I'll say know? this before we, we jump off of it. Um, for I think for the Pac-12 to get back to where we have seen them historically, a couple of mm -hmm. things need to happen. Is We've seen a shift of talent from like the Midwest where we've seen it before and even some of these other places down to the South, right? So like yeah. all of the good recruits are in the South. So they have to get recruiters, like sure. period, at mm -hmm. these schools. But I think that becomes easier when they redo the TV contract and right. create a way yes. that they can be in the East Coast primetime slot, yep. right? So they're playing whatever it is. So it'd be a 430 kick on the West Coast. They tried yep. it this year, and I know it probably wasn't great for the players, but like they did a big noon game. Yep. And, you know, it's it's weird, but like people on the East Coast, which is where a majority of viewers are, watched it. People yeah. watch the games when they're on in time slots they can handle. If I, I'll watch a Pac-12 game at 7.30 all day long. I'm not staying up no. until damn 10.30 Eastern <laughs> to watch them kick off and then finish that no. game. It's, it's not that intriguing to me. I can't even watch it watching my own team, which I enjoy catching every game I can when they play on you know national TV, um, ESPN, or what have you. But I won't stay up that late either. I won't do it, even yeah. watching my own team. But it'll be so, interesting though because the SEC just redid a TV contract with the yeah, ESPN, they and they've got Huge. they've got some. It's, I mean, they've got a three thirty prime time yep. in there. They've got the game of the week, freaking seven thirty ABC ESPN broadcast, and then the ACC's first order of business with their new commissioner is to rework their TV contract mm -hmm. as well. And you know, there's going to be some juice behind that because the ACC's looking decent obviously with Clemson, but North Carolina's looked all right. And yeah, we're hoping that Florida state can turn around and Miami looked pretty good. Like, yeah, well, it's going to be hard for them to do it. But that, I think I really do think if they can find a way to get into some decent time slots so people can watch them nationally, they'll get back to being relevant. Yeah. Great point, Joshua. Well, um, thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. 
Oh, well, you did, Joshua. So there you are in that. There it is. Um, <laughs> but instead of entering the NFL, they have joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different. We have all seen that, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch the game. And I know on Sundays, if I'm covering the Titans when they're out of town, I definitely have a cold Pepsi on my desk to keep me awake and caffeinated. But Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it, like me, not Joshua. Pepsi, <laughs> made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Segment two, and we already talked about one fire, <clears throat> firing in Kevin Sumlin. Then there was this other one. And I'm going to give mm. you a little bit of insight here, Joshua. Sure. So on, when was he fired again? Remind me of the day. Was it Sunday? Was that Sunday? I think so. I think so. I remember seeing the news Sunday. Okay. Sorry, you guys. Like days, like Joshua was saying. They, they, they run together. together. It's they bad. They really do. Especially yeah. when you cover sports. Because yeah, it's just and, like. I mean, you're on the move all the time. It's bad. All the time. So on Saturday, I got home from work. And my husband, now I've told you, he's from Op- Opelika, Auburn area, right? He went to yep. Auburn. Um, his parents have lived there their whole lives. And he said, yeah, my dad told me something interesting. I said, what? He said, he goes, Gus is gone tomorrow. And I said, Gus is gone tomorrow? Even if they beat, you know, I think they were playing Old Miss or Mississippi State, excuse me. And he said, yeah, he's gone. And they've already negotiated the buyout and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's going to be interesting. I mean, I'll watch for it. Sure enough, on Sunday, I'm sitting there at my desk watching the Titans game. And in the middle of the Titans game, the news comes down. Gus is fired. Mm. I was like, I called him. I was like, you are right on, man. Like, look at you with the sources. So that was pretty fun. uh, Just kind of having that that insight. But uh, the biggest thing out of this firing after eight seasons is they're giving him the full $21 million yeah, buyout. That's, that's in, he gets, I think he gets in the next 30 days, 10 million of it. What is that about? In the next 30 days? Yeah. So they said uh, the best job in the world is a fired power five conference <laughs> football coach. And I agree with that. Yeah, Let me tell you true. something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Oh my gosh. $10 million. Dang. Oh, just going to hit the account. And then he got another twelve million just chilling out there. Yeah. Ah, I mean, that's the life, right? Yeah, and they—I mean, during a pandemic too, for them to to say. So you know what that's saying though is they—they basically made a twenty-two million dollar bet plus because you know it's not just the buyout, but they gotta you know pay to bring somebody else in the whole deal. So they made a a twenty-two million dollar plus bet that the next person that they bring in is that much more worth it than keeping him around until at least his buyout dropped a little bit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and it's it's crazy because the SEC has pulled the trigger on these firings like it, they didn't waste Yeah, they don't give a damn. You know what I'm saying? Because it was first it was Muschamp, Will Muschamp at South Carolina. Right. And then they hired Shane uh why my Beamer. Yes. And then it was Vanderbilt's head coach, Derek Mason. Yep. So he was gone and we'll get to that replacement in our meet the coach segment. And then you've got Gus Malzahn 
sure. who they're they're pulling the trigger before the end of the season. They were like, we're done after eight years. So, and it also makes me think, like they've got to have somebody in mind. Yeah, you, you right? don't pull the trigger like that unless you know you got like a surefire plan because. Like I said, it's too much money to be betting on just like, oh, we'll find somebody. You yeah, know? you you can't. I mean, that's, like you said, too much money. I mean, here's the thing, though. Who who out there right now, Auburn's a high-pressure job. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. It's not as high as some of these other ones. But I don't again, think they're I, built for success either. Not 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 exactly. No. So not when you me, compare it to Alabama. Let me run through this. So from the time he got there, 2013, 12-2, Lost in the national championship game, mm-hmm. right? And then he goes 2014, eight and five, lost in the outback to Wisconsin, a team that, mm-hmm. you know, probably didn't have the speed and everything else, whatever. Then seven win season, uh, win in the Birmingham Bowl. And then he goes eight and five again. And then he takes an L in the Sugar Bowl. And yep. he goes a 10 win season, but takes an L in the Peach. Yep. And then eight and five wins the Music City. Nine and four takes an L in the Outback Bowl. So, like, you go through that. And you got a couple of 10 plus win seasons in there. You compete for a national title. That's great. You're two and five in bowls and you know, you're finished fourth, seventh, fifth, third in your division, like not getting the job done. No. And it's look, I mean, it is the South. It is the SEC. It is a university that is thought of for the most part as being a football school Yes. They always get the notoriety preseason polls, you know, but it's just like they're not living up to any of the, I guess you could call it hype. Absolutely. When it comes down to it. And so they're really going to need somebody who's going to go in there and be able to handle that, but also deliver. And I know there were some jokes about, I don't know if you read this, but Lane Kiffin, did you read the stuff about Kiffin going around that- his name no. was already brought up and oh. he was pulling the old Saban moves in his press conference saying, I will not be the next head coach at Auburn. You know, when <laughs> Saban said that he was at Miami. He yeah. Said, and then like the, the next, next yeah, day, day he, he was hired as Alabama's yeah. head coach. Um, it was pretty funny though. Uh, we love Kiffin, some Kiffin on this show. Dude, we did. We give him so many shout outs. I hope like one day he'll just listen to our podcast just because we, we should reach so out and find out who his agent is and reach out and see if he'll do an interview. Do you want to do, let's do, and I feel like he'd respond to you because he you're might. an actual, like, I think we should do that because I think we would have the best time with Kiffin on here. That'd be so much fun. We, I'm, I might just task you at doing that. Okay. Because I feel like he'd get, a, you'd get a response from him. Yeah, if I find to, out his agent. We should do it over zoom so we can get the video too. Yes. We got to get the video on it. Yes. Okay. I'm not joking. We're we're gonna get on this. It's our goal for 2021. This is our goal. This is our goal. We need we need something for the new year anyway. Right. So we're gonna try to make this happen. But okay, yeah. So Gus gone there. We've we've kind of discussed possibilities of hirings. We'll see what happens. And get get out of here with the Hugh Freeze hire. Like get out. I'm not a fan. I'm. Do you know what that is? It's hype. Yep. It's hype of a yep. coach that one one program brought up as being interested in South Carolina. He's a dirty coach too. He's dirty. And just because he went to Liberty and has done some stuff for the program does not mean, A, he's deserving of going back to the SEC. Which, by the way, I don't know if Greg Sankey would want him back in the SEC. That's what I've heard. Well, 
We'll see. So don't don't even at me with that. Okay, Michigan hmm. <laughs> will not be playing Saturday again. Yep. Have they played a game this season? Oh, yeah, they've played a game and they've gotten whooped. Okay, so Harbaugh, to me, like, what is going on? All these other coaches are getting fired, and have you heard anything about what's going to happen with Harbaugh They've been talking about pumping his contract up. Pumping his contract up? The the conversation that I've heard is that they're going to offer him a new contract really low buyout, less money than he's on right now. Um, and they need to do so because they don't think that they they can hire somebody they would want right now. Yeah. And they've got to be able to to recruit. And oh, a coach, God. he would be on the last year of his contract this upcoming season. A coach on the last year of a contract can't recruit. So that's, right. that's the deal there. They, they got to give him something. They got to have something that he can take out on the recruiting trail. But the buyout's supposed to be extremely low, and I think they're going to drop his uh, his yearly salary as well. Which a lot of it's deferred compensation anyway, but they're they're trying to they're trying to get rid of that. Is there anybody who comes to mind if Harbaugh is a, is going to eventually leave Michigan? I don't think is, anybody wants to take it. You don't think anyone does? And is there a reason for that? Yeah, is be- it? Ohio State and yeah, Penn State, it's just too tough. Just too yeah, tough, and huh? Michigan State, depending. And mm-hmm. then when you cross over Iowa and Wisconsin, like it's, it's tough. And they, they haven't made great inroads recruiting nationally. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like they're the second best recruiting class in the big 10 and they are so far behind Ohio state. It's not even funny on like average uh, star ranking or whatever for their recruits, like whatever the, the number that they use, I don't know what the hell, but like there's a number associated with the, the actual star ranking. Sure. They're so far behind. So I think that's really one of the bigger issues with that university right now is that I don't they don't feel like they can attract the the head coach that they want this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what changes in a year, but oh. it is what it is. Yeah. The big house is the smallest house on the block. Man. Show is. Dang, sucks to be Michigan. <laughs> All right. Well, 2020 has already reshaped the way that we work. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world and they have more total visits than any other job site. That's according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so that you can focus on hiring the right person to keep your business going. And unlike other sites, Indeed will give you that full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause it at any time and there are no long-term contracts. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means that more quality candidates will see it fast. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, and this offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Our final segment today is Get to Know the Coach, and I thought that this would be good to tie together because we've been seeing a lot of firings and hirings and down here in the dirty south in nashville there uh was a new hire this week and that is vanderbilt hiring former notre dame defensive coordinator clark lee as the commodore's new head coach so i think there's a lot of excitement down here in nashville especially on west end joshua because don't know if you know this but clark lee is a national native born here I did know that. I I just actually just learned that, but I did know that. Joshua, also born in Nashville. Yes. 
This is very true. Look, look at this. Franklin, this Tennessee, pretty- stand up. Look at that. If you did not know, you learned something new about Joshua. That is, you know, so many Nashville connections. You don't have to live here to have the connections. But yeah, he was born in Nashville. I thought I thought this was really interesting. Now, he was a heck of an athlete. Um, he went to Birmingham Southern and then transferred to Belmont. Both places he played baseball, okay? Really good baseball player. Then he finished out his last two years at Vanderbilt playing football at the fullback position. So I always talk about this fullback position. Mm-hmm. It's such like a grimy, like hard nose. Like you, you think of those type of people, right? Yeah, no, it's a tough guy position. Do the work, yeah, kind of thing. So that's his connection. I mean, to Vanderbilt, he clearly, he's a Vanderbilt guy. And I wanted to bring this up with you. I think the biggest thing about hiring somebody at Vanderbilt, it was so important for Candace Story Lee, the athletics director, to bring someone in here who really understood what Vanderbilt is and to realize some of the things they don't have, to realize some of the difficulties they have being in the SEC with what they have. Terrible facilities, is that what what they have? Right, which I will say this, Joshua, I guess that that is in the works. They yeah, are, it has to be. Yep, it, it, that is in the works. And it they wanted a head coach that when they hired that person, they could bring their input. So yeah, that and is I'll, on the horizon. So I'll jump in on that too. I think the 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 smart, the intelligent part about that is very similar to what they did when they brought in uh, Derek Mason was you need to bring in a guy who is used to recruiting kids that are intelligent and are going to a prestigious yeah. university like uh, Derek Mason came from Stanford. And so he mm-hmm. had the experience of some of the academic overlays and how you can also recruit a kid who maybe is um, a little bit more questionable academically, but you know how you can explain the support there and how it's not going to prevent them from becoming what they want on the field. Same thing with Lee coming from Notre Dame is there are kids there who are very intelligent. So he knows how to recruit them, but yeah. there are also kids there who definitely would not have qualified had it not been for the fact that they were an athlete that he was able to talk to and say, we can support you if you come here. It's it's going to be rigorous academically, but it's going to be rewarding. And we can make sure that you graduate while also keeping football, not f- first and foremost, but top of mind that, yeah. you know, the academics and, and the ball play well together. Like somebody, it's, it's really tough doing that. Like when you're, and I'm not trying to crap on my university, but like, you know, you can almost recruit whoever you want to Ohio sure. State. And they'll, they will figure out a way to support that athlete. And it's a great school, but it's not, it's not Northwestern. It's not Notre Dame. It's not Stanford. It's not Vanderbilt. It's not Duke. Um, And so those challenges definitely need somebody with experience with it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's why I think it was so important that they had the right guy in here. And you mix that with, you know, he understands what it takes to be an athlete at Vanderbilt. Yes. I think that's really important. but. Look, he wasn't just hired there because he was born in Nashville or he has connections to Vanderbilt. He was hired off of his reputation in college football. Yeah, he's and a very you, good coach. He is. And if you ask anybody in the college football world, they will tell you and speak highly of Clark Lee yep. and just what he's done. And clearly, you know what he's done at Notre Dame, but he's he's been other places. His first job was in a, a was pretty much a, a grad assistant at UCLA. I mean, he's yep. been in the Pac-12. He's He's been around. It's not like he, he doesn't have any experience outside of a couple jobs. 
So I really do think this is a good hire that more and more I soak it in, Joshua. Now it will just be like, can he also sell the program a little? That's it's always going to be difficult doing that. And I've, I've looked at Vanderbilt actually when I was coming out and, um, you know, like early on in my recruitment, um, because I, you know, I didn't know if I was ever going to get an Ohio State offer or whatever the case was. So I was yeah. looking at the Northwesterns and the, the Dukes and the Vanderbilts and the Stanfords and everything. And it's it's definitely a tough sell for a lot of reasons it is the challenges academically. We all know that. But like the facilities definitely aren't up to date and the campus is unique for sure. And some kids want to like a big, you know, big school experience. They're just not yeah. going to get that there. Right. And so all of that's tough. And then you couple that with the fact that, you know, you're, you're on the ground floor of the best conference in college mm-hmm. football, probably it's, it's difficult, but like you said, you get somebody who has Vanderbilt in their blood and yeah. somebody who's used to grinding because he's a former fullback and he coached linebackers. <laughs> so, you know, he's a grinder, like he's, he's going to be fine. And here's the other little tidbit that I find that I find very interesting is y'all know that James Franklin was here mm-hmm. and actually had, when anybody talks about Vanderbilt having success, it was the time that James Franklin was here and James Franklin did a really good job of selling the program. Now he was really good friends with Vanderbilt head baseball coach, Tim Corbin who, if you also don't know baseball, which is yeah. one of my sports, Vanderbilt. is one of the, the yes. godfathers, right? I mean, he's yeah. spectacular, and he's a spectacular man as well. I, I know him and his family very well. And he was really good friends with James Franklin during this time. Actually, James Franklin came out to the World Series, College World Series, not this past year, but the year before when they won it. Mm. And, and I saw James Franklin and his wife and kids, and they were all out there supporting Vanderbilt baseball because that's how good of friends they were. And um, I guess that Tim Corbin was very, very involved in this head coaching search. Like he had an input. And so for him to say and speak very highly of Clark Lee, because he was also very close with Clark Lee when Clark Lee was a student athlete. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I will trust Tim Corbin for things too, <laughs> for sure. even though he's a baseball head coach, he, he knows he he's much wiser beyond that. So I think it was smart for them to do that though. Um, and I'll, I'll end with this is a lot of these universities defer to these national, you know, search firms to find the coaches and everything. Yeah. And I think the the smart thing that they did is they used input from successful coaches who have, had championship teams at that specific university who probably understand what the culture is better than mm-hmm. the national search firm. Um, and so that that's reassuring in terms of, you know, selecting a coach that can have success there. Absolutely. Well, there you go. You got to know Clark Lee a little bit. Hopefully he can do some things for Vanderbilt moving forward really quickly before I go. I, I did want to say to you, Joshua, that um, I was really cool on Saturday. I, for the first time this season in person got to cover a college football game. I know that sounds crazy, but due to the pandemic, the restrictions are just a lot tighter, especially at Vanderbilt this year they sure. have been. And, you know, we're not traveling to Tennessee um, to cover the balls because it's just, there's not enough room available there for outside of Knoxville media. And so I covered my first game at Vanderbilt as they played this weekend um, against Tennessee and first of all, it was cool. I had my own suite because of the, you know, all the things they had to change around. We actually had, cause there's not any fans. It's just the friends and family that are there. 
So nice. I had my own seat to myself covering the game, which was awesome. But I got to witness Sarah Fuller making history in person, kicking not one, but two extra points. And it was thing. really something special. I mean, I don't just say that because I'm a girl at all. Um, no. I just say that because it was just such a cool thing to witness. And I think the best part about it, and I put this out on Twitter afterward, I went through the B-roll that my photographer shot and he got the greatest reaction from her teammates after she made the first extra point. And it just kind of like made me like get a little bit teary eyed because it was so genuine. And man, so that's what I keep pointing to for everybody who says it's a publicity stunt is like, they must have the greatest drama classes at Vanderbilt. (laughs) When you watch the reactions of not just the teammates, right? but like the other team after the game, there were guys lined up trying to shake Sarah Fuller's hand because she's a legend and a hero. I don't know if yeah. I can say that word on here. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm very appreciative of it. And I know her, her kicking career for the football team has come to an end, but she made history. She's deserving yep. of it. Anybody who tries to downplay that can sit and spin because that's some. Um, yeah, exactly. Clay Travis too, because he's, <laughs> The worst. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, we don't want to hear anything out of that. No, Nashville stand up. <laughs> right? Well, hey, that was fun. Um, we got to some really great topics. Um, so, guys, make sure that you guys enjoy the championships this weekend. We are not going to have a podcast next week because it will be the holiday week and we're going to give ourselves a week off. I thought that'd be nice. That is nice. Right? So we hope you guys enjoy the holiday. Uh, Soak it in with your friends and family, even if it's from a distance. Enjoy it the best that you can. Um, And we'll be back the week after for another edition of Press Pass. You can always go and follow Joshua. He's been um, really active on social media lately. Where where can they go to follow you? Find me at RIP underscore JEP. Tis the season to be active on Twitter. So yeah, and to echo Kayla's sentiments, whether, you know, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, or, you know, just gathering with family, season's greetings, enjoy it. I know it's a weird year. You might not be able to gather the way that you typically do, but uh, give thanks, have appreciation and, uh, you know, happy holiday season and uh, happy new year. Yes, absolutely. Uh, You can go follow me at at Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter as well. And hey, we're going to work on that Lane Kiffin interview, y'all. So just be, be patient with us, but we're, we're going to, we're going to work on it. You guys deserve it in the new year. All right. Have a great one.